I get asked all the time, how do I write a job description? Turns out that may not be the best question. Better is to learn step-by-step how to define someone's role. Exactly how you do that is this episode. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 517. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. So many of the conversations leaders have are about core management. How do we actually help people identify what they need to do in their roles, how to support them in getting there, and of course, an element of accountability as well. And one of the questions I often get is, how do I, as a leader, define well a job description? How do I define well someone's role? Today, we are going to answer that question and really look at the three keys that will help us to manage performance well and a wonderful framework to do that. In order to have that conversation, I'm so glad to welcome Pat Griffin to the show today. Pat has been actively engaged in helping organizations achieve greater success through the transformation of their people for almost two decades. He is a Dale Carnegie master trainer who helps organizations deliver measurable impact on strategic initiatives. He has extensive experience with manufacturing and engineering firms due to his previous career in those markets. He has helped leaders zero in on process improvement and how the human side of that effort plays a significant role in its success or failure. Pat has served in many roles in the Dale Carnegie business over the last 20 years. Today, he's the Chief Relationship Officer at Dale Carnegie Training of Western New York. Pat, I am so glad to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Dave. It is an honor to be here. I'm really excited for our conversation. I can't express how excited I am for this conversation uh, because many in our audience know I had a long and wonderful career with Dale Carnegie, uh, 15 years. It was instrumental in so many of the things I'm doing today and was such a pleasure and a joy to be able to be a Dale Carnegie instructor. And one of the things that I noticed over the years at Carnegie is how good Carnegie is with teaching core management skills. And I just saw so many examples of that over the years. And as I've gotten this question in the past, in the recent past, on job descriptions and performance management, I got to thinking, wow, I should go find the person at Carnegie who's really good at this. And I asked some of my friends at Carnegie, and Pat, your name came to the top of my list. So thank you so much for your time and, uh, and helping us to get better at this. Glad to be here. Well, I, I said the word job description, but that mm-hmm. actually maybe isn't quite where we're going. Because um, when you and I first talked, I said, hey, I'm getting questions from listeners and from some of our Academy members on how to really write a job description and to help people help to define a person's role. And you were very kind in coming back to me and saying, well, uh, actually, I don't think that's what you're asking. <laughs> you, you said a job description is more of an HR kind of a, it's a policy procedure. It's something that you're going to use in order to to advertise a role and to help recruit the right person. What you really challenged me on is thinking about it from a, a different lens, performance management. Mm-hmm. Tell me mm-hmm. a little more about that. Sure. We, uh, we hear that quite often in working with our clients that they 
don't see people ever looking at their job description after they're in the job. And it's not a surprise because the job description's function is really just to clarify the skill and talent and requirements of a person who has the potential to be successful in a certain role. But once they're in the role, it's really the output of their efforts that matters. And to clarify the difference between the two, we label the description of work being done well as a performance results description. And the vocabulary is very specific. They are performing a function. They are producing results. And this is a description of what those results look like when the performance is at a good level. So it's a performance results description versus a job description. You've been very kind to put together a framework of three things that you think are really essential for leaders to be thinking about when creating something like this. And Mm -hmm. before we dive into the details of it, what is different about the approach of thinking about it from performance management versus what you see organizations and managers typically doing? Mm -hmm. We typically see that managers will list out activities they're interested in. We want to see a salesperson making X number of cold calls a day. We want to have a line operator achieving uh, a certain number of motions in an hour. And it's fine to describe the skills and activities that are necessary for the work, but without a clear and agreed upon description of what that work is going to produce, the the manager is left with just coaching toward a, a skill versus an outcome, and the worker is left just doing things that he or she is told to do rather than having clarity on why they're doing it. And so the the real shift is in let's describe what good looks like with respect to the results. And when those results are being met, then the manager can identify strengths and ways to give a little praise and support. And when the results aren't being met, then we can have a coaching conversation around what skills do I need to help you with? What resources are missing that would be useful here? And it it creates a, a real objectivity for the manager that instead of it being where I just don't get along with this person or she and I don't click or this person and that one, they ought to be producing exactly the same thing. Why aren't they? And it gives us such a better way to support, encourage, coach, and hold accountable people to outcomes. And and the beautiful thing is, I mean, I haven't met a sales manager yet who, if 
every person on their team is hitting their quota is actually concerned about how many cold calls they're making. Uh, right. Yeah. If they're, if they're closing business at the level that's expected, if they're sustaining existing accounts at the level that's expected and they're getting that done in five minutes a week, I don't know that a sales manager would ask them any questions, Mm. but the moment they're not hitting their numbers, now we ask questions about how many calls you're making, how many meetings you have, how are you handling conversations? What's your conversion ratio on proposal to uh, close business? And the beautiful thing is once an employee knows that what matters is my result, they're a lot more free to look for how could I do this job more effectively? What are ways we could innovate and improve? It just shifts everything when you move from gauging measured activities to identifying objective outcomes. That's the huge shift right there is it's about the results. Yeah, yeah. It really does provide a framework for the employee to have a more useful and helpful dialogue about results, um, like you said, just like with the manager. And so I think this... the document itself is obviously really critical to this. And mm-hmm. I want to ask you a little more about that because I think that that's so key. And and I'm hearing you say that one of the key things here is to get really clear on what are the key result areas. And, mm-hmm. and then the performance standards are under the key result area. For example, quality. And I'm trying to like get my head around like what that looks like in a document. Is it as simple mm-hmm. as the word quality? Is it something more descriptive than that? And then if it is, and I guess second to that question, what does a performance standard then sound like if we looked mm-hmm. underneath the umbrella of that, that sure. result area of quality? Sure. Let's take quality. So that's the that's the key result area. And we we write the performance standard from from kind of an odd point of view. We write it as if we are in the future looking back. So let's say this is the beginning of a an annual period. And I know we're going to be looking at this again at the end of December. And I would use a phrase something like, there have been fewer than 0.1% defects per shift measured on a rolling weekly average. And so now let's go a month into the performance period, and we go back and we look at the data. For each day, what was the percentage defect? And if I put that into a rolling weekly average, is it larger or smaller than 0.1%? And both I and the manager can look at that and say, huh, we're at 0.13, Bill. What do we need to change? Where can we put a little resources? Somebody on your line needs some training. Now we've got something to look at. And then next month we can, oh, hey, good for you. You're down to 0.11, almost at standard. Any other support I can give you? Any training your people might need? And so now we've got a a data point that we know what the standard is. And we're, we're looking toward that endpoint. By the end of the year, we need to be able to look at that sentence 
there have been fewer than 0.1% daily defects measured on a rolling weekly average basis. And at the end of the year, we can both look at it and say, yes or no, did it happen? It's really easy to measure. It's really easy to measure. And often we don't have the data gathering in place to be able to write a decent standard. I was working with a maintenance manager at a, uh, it was a university complex. He was responsible for the, the upkeep and maintenance of all the buildings. And so he was really struggling. Like why one of my, one of my standards is on quality of the housekeeping. And I said, well, okay, so how are you measuring that now? He said, well, we've, we got a checklist of all the things that are supposed to have been done. The floors and hallways were swept once a day. Uh, the trash was all picked up once a day. The floors were waxed every month. Da, 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 da. And if they've done the checklist, then it's okay. I said, okay, but when you walk in some buildings, have you ever walked into a building where the checklist could be all done, but the building still didn't hit your standards? He said, oh, yeah, I see it immediately. I said, well, what are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at how shiny the floors are. I'm looking at how clean the hallways are. I'm checking for dust on the sills. I said, great. So you're actually doing an audit. What's the, what's the standard you have for the results of the audit? Said, well, we don't have that. And the audit's just in my head. I'm just walking around the building. I said, well, there you go. You can write the standard. The audits have achieved 95% compliance at least nine out of 10 times in the past year. Uh, That's a yes or no statement. But now you have to develop the audit, don't you? Yeah. So just because you don't currently have the data that would allow you to write a decent standard doesn't mean you shouldn't write the standard. It means you just have to start measuring better things. Yeah, it's a huge distinction. And I, I love the invitation here of the, the key result area. So on the document, getting the key result area is is often a you know a you know, it's a it's a word or a phrase, right? So it's a something mm-hmm. like quality. And then the mm-hmm. performance standard is the the really clear metric it's a yes or no and mm-hmm. if that metric isn't apparent today what that is mm-hmm. that that you as a manager you as an organization start to look at okay how do we actually frame this in a way that is actually measuring the standard right. we want to get and almost always in my experience like it's possible to do that if we really do step right. back because like the example you gave of just cleaning the building now mm-hmm. you're having a conversation when you're doing mm-hmm. check-ins about the actual result versus what are the daily activities that people are checking mm-hmm. in the box, right? And yes. it's, it's so much different. Yes. And it doesn't have to be, we need to watch out for the, the pitfall of it has to be, we don't have to satisfy the statisticians and the engineers. We just have to have clarity on what we're measuring and both people can see it objectively. So we have things like culture and you go, whoa, you you can't be measuring that. Like you measure this quality percentage or this cleanliness thing. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and to a certain extent, that's true. We can't measure it the same way, but maybe we just, we just have to have something that we can observe and two people can observe it and see the same thing. It's the objectivity that matters. For example, 
there was a group of architects and engineers. They were all principals on the firm. And they came to us because they had one principal who, let's say he was able to close a lot of business, but he wasn't good at having customers want to do repeat business. Uh, to the point that they would have some clients that would come to the firm and say, we love the work you do. Just don't send him again. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, like, how are we supposed to put that in a PRD? And so, OK, let's first let's let's get some language around what is the key result area? How, what words would you use? And they came up with client happiness. OK. How do you measure that? Uh-huh. Well, usually it's a, it's something doesn't happen. And I said, well, tell me more. Well, if they're happy, the phone doesn't ring. It's when they're mad that they call. I said, well, there you go. On any given project, there have been fewer than X times that the client called with a dissatisfaction. Huh. And you just decide what X is. And this person who's good at winning business, but he's making everybody mad, he's going to start counting how many times the phone rings with people who are mad at him. And I have seen this again and again, that when an organization really gets gets behind making something measurable, almost always, there's a way to make things measurable, or at least right. to have some key indicators. And right. then... Once that's clear, you know, so much about (laughs) human conflict is about unclear expectations, right? When that's clear, it's and and someone's not performing, it's it's remarkable to me how often, almost always, it seems like either some change happens or the person opts out. And mm-hmm. and they decide they decide like well I guess the organization has decided this is a standard I'm not meeting it and no one mm-hmm. wants to be in that place for long no. and no and they ultimately decide to do other things and it's mm-hmm. and it's and that's a good thing that's a good thing for the organization and a good outcome mm-hmm. ultimately for everyone so it's right. it's huge so this is really key of getting this documented when we think about this from like a what it looks like mm-hmm. when you're teaching leaders how to do this. How many key KRAs are there? How many performance standards are there? Like, what does that look like on the document? Yeah, there's a kind of a rule of thumb. It's not a hard and fast thing. But most of the time, if we've done it well, we'll have between four and eight. And if we end up with more than eight, we're usually labeling measured activities rather than key results. Four to eight key result areas or four to eight performance standards underneath each one? Four to eight key result areas. And frankly, most people, I normally see four or five. It's a a pretty good number. And there's one we usually have to encourage people to add, and that is uh, professional development. Because there, there is one outcome that matters, and that's how am I developing myself as a, as a contributor. So I need a, a KRA for professional development, and all the rest of them are about my, my output for the firm or the team or the organization. And if we end up with just like one or two, then probably we can break it into things that are a little bit more 
specific in terms of how we're going to write the standards. The, the other normal thing is every KRA needs at least one performance standards. Often one is okay, but many times there will be a few performance standards in a given KRA. Uh, sales professional is a, is a good example. Sales professional, a KRA is going to be closed revenue. Mm. Underneath that, you might have a performance standard of how many gross dollars on a per month or quarter basis, but you also might have a performance standard of what percent of that gross came from new accounts. Mm. It's two different things. Right, right. And so you wouldn't be hitting that KRA if all your gross came from existing clients, because there's a performance standard of, we got to have a certain percentage of new, new account business here. And that's such a helpful thing to think of, because it's, it's not just a, I'm hitting the metric technically, it's also what actually contributes to the larger purpose of the role and the direction the organization's exactly. going. So that gets, that gets, captured right in those as well so you're really intentional about it yeah and it does back up to what how does this make sense for an organization if you if you think about each of the individual contributions they ought to add up to the overall mission vision purpose of the firm or the organization and so that brings alignment for the for the person to like see where they fit. This is why my job matters. I'm contributing up to this collective output and I can, I can identify what it is that, that I'm doing that either is or isn't acceptable in terms of my part. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they see their larger purpose in the organization and um, you know, it really does also I don't know if force is the right word, but it certainly encourages a conversation about what's the bigger picture as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I often find myself asking people is, tell me what your boss is being measured on for exactly. their results. And it, it's interesting how often people don't have a clear answer to that question. And going through this process of actually documenting this and coming to alignment really mm-hmm. forces a conversation around let's get really clear on what the performance standards are, but also how does that relate to the larger, um, the larger goals of the organization, the larger goals of the division or department or whatever the case is mm-hmm. in that organization. So we've talked about the document a bunch. You said something to me about, okay, it's not necessarily that the manager writes this, right? It might actually be mm-hmm. the employee that writes this. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's a dialogue about that. Uh, tell mm-hmm. me what that looks like, because I don't think most people are used to thinking about like, okay, I'm going to hand this over to one of my employees to write what their role is. Yeah. Uh, what does that look like? Well, it would it would look like a, a conversation that the manager would come to the employee and say, I, I'm looking for a way for us to get clarity on your work so that I can do my job better to help you be successful. And in in order to have a starting place, I would really like you to to look at this framework and you would you would they don't have to like magically come up with the framework. 
you'd explain to them, here's the document. We're going to call it a performance results description. It's going to have some key result areas, which is maybe a little bit different way of looking at the work than we've done. Each of those areas is going to have some performance standards. Oh, and by the way, at the bottom, here's the easy part. There's the activities and skills required and resources needed. So we'd often start, I call it building it from the bottom up. Let's look at all these activities now. Maybe you've got some time logs or you've got some activities or you could pull it off of your job description. What are all these activities? What are you doing? Now let's ask the question, why are you doing it? As you look at each one of those things, what's the point? What's it leading to? And you could throw in another tool, use an affinity process. What do these activities have in common? Well, they, they go toward a desired outcome. So from the bottom up, you take all the activities and you see what they have in common and you come up with the KRAs. And then you back up from it and there's a beautiful, useful phrase, in what ways can we? And you look at that KRA title and it'll be a short phrase, a descriptive phrase, or maybe even a word. And you say, in what ways can we measure that that's being done well? And then you fill in the performance standards. And so you let the employees go through that process and then come back to the manager with, well, here's what we came up with. Here's how I see it. Here's how I think it'd be good to be measured. And we don't just abdicate this. If there's something that as a manager really matters to you that gets measured and looked at, well, it's a dialogue. Put that in there. It's a little coaching moment, like this part's good. I like that one. What about if we add this? Can you see yourself being measured there? And it, it, it may go back and forth two or three times, but then you'll settle it out and you'll both agree, okay, those standards, we're going to hold ourselves to those standards. And now we kick in the monthly tracking or the biweekly tracking and the whole conversation changes because yeah. we're focused on results. So the document itself, the discussion, the alignment, you get to that place. And, and, and I think in a lot of cases, especially the first time, that might be two or three mm -hmm. conversations to really get there. Oh, sure. And then the third piece then is just using that ongoing and tracking them. That's the core uh, management piece here. And also <laughs> the coaching piece too, right? Exactly. Of, of, of coming back right. and having conversations that have context around what's really important and what are the results that everyone wants. Right. And it's a beautiful thing when the system gets set up right. Because and people, a question I commonly get is, so how often do you rewrite this PRD? And uh, my answer is, there's a couple of trigger points. One would be like that annual review process. And we're saying, okay, what needs to change about this for the upcoming year? Some periodic review is fine. But the other time, and this is much more common, something will change. Some some new strategy will land on the business or maybe there's a new revenue stream that came up or they started alignment with another vendor. There's something about the work changed and there's a trigger point where you say, "Ooh, do we need to take a look at the PRD? Mm. But when the when the performance tracking is happening, this is another thing that goes uh, the opposite direction of most managers thinking. The person who triggers that look at the standards is the employee. 
And you just set up the expectation, like we're going to do this every couple of weeks, every month or so. And it can be very quick. Uh, I've been in some systems where it literally was an email once a month that was status of each KRA. KRA one, doing fine. KRA two, doing fine. KRI three, below standard, I need some help. Let's talk about this one. KRA four, we're good. And so now from the manager's point of view, you, you get a little, you get a little focus like, okay, how might I be able to coach or help or serve this employee in that area? And it's a whole different conversation than it's not micromanaging them. It's being there so you can laser focus your support. Yeah. And in some ways, it's the exact opposite of micromanagement because so often micromanagement is about, well, what did you do last hour? What activities are you doing? How many calls? If you know, whatever it is. And it's really not about the results. This is a a conversation that's in the context of the broader results. So getting getting clear on that is so key. And, you know, the other part that's really kind of landing with me too here is that this isn't just necessarily something you do when someone comes onto the team for the first time. It would be a great time to do that. But also, if you're a manager coming in who maybe is inheriting a team and this hasn't been done in the past, or maybe you have an existing team and you've been going down the path for a couple of years with something that may be sort of working, but you haven't really ever gotten clarity you can start this today, like actually just begin this process of saying, hey, let's have a broader conversation about what the key results are and the performance standards under each one of those and just start to do that going forward because that that's a huge that's a huge opportunity to just begin from. Mm-hmm. Begin the conversation, start to have the dialogue, start to gain clarity on the things that you know matter that you haven't been measuring. It's it's a thump to the head kind of a day, usually like, oh, that's the one that's really important. <laughs> we haven't been measuring it. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, indeed. And and the other piece of this that I think is an opportunity for a lot of folks is thinking about it from the other direction. Okay, I'm I'm getting managed by someone and maybe they are bought into something like this. Oftentimes, seems like my experience is I hear from people that their managers aren't as clear on what the the results are. Right, you could do this for yourself as a leader mm-hmm. of of actually writing out what are the mm-hmm. four or five or six key result areas, what are the mm-hmm. performance standards under each one, and you could use that as a document for one on ones with your manager, even if they don't necessarily trigger it. You might come to the conversation of being really proactive about here's what I think is important to the business. Here's what I see is key about the role, and um, and use that as a framework for how your conversations go upwards. Absolutely, and think of how <laughs> inspirational it would be to have an employee come to you with that kind of a thought. I've been thinking about how I bring value here. Here's how I see it. Would you give me your perspective? And to be able to start from a place of Here's how I see it. What do you see? It's a really good place uh, to start, for example, in the middle of the organization and sell it up to your boss. Like, here's how I here's how I see it. The other thing I see so much is I have a I have a fundamental belief that 
Nobody shows up in the morning with a thought in their head. How can I mess with the boss's day? I mean, it's a it's a rare person who <laughs> that's their drive, right, right? right? But yet we have a lot of people who can get to an end of a day and they can't tell themselves that it's okay to stop. Mm. They're working so hard to do so many things and they feel like their plate is so full. What a freedom it is to be able to say to yourself, okay, in all four of my KRAs, I did what was needed today. It's okay to breathe and have some time for me and my family now. So knowing when you can quit for the day is one of the most powerful gifts we can give people. Pat, what you just said, it's so key because I just I had a conversation just yesterday with a client who is working six, seven days a week pretty regularly. And as we had the conversation, it became really clear that the the big the big thing that was missing in the relationship between him and his manager was not clarity on the results mm-hmm. and not not having had a doc, there's no document like this there's not been any conversation about this and so that person just keeps taking on more and more and more instead mm-hmm. of really thinking through and having clarity about what is most important and that mm-hmm. is so huge for for mm-hmm. just like mental well-being much less even mm-hmm. the organizational results for having clarity mm-hmm. on this well, and think about the the elevation of that challenge that happened when so many of us shifted to working from home. It used to be at least you could have the defining end of I'm going to get in my car and go home now. But if we're working from home, we just never stop. And we, we've got to learn how to create a place for people to be able to manage themselves and feel good about their contribution and then have a life. We work to live, not the other way around. Yeah, indeed. Pat, this is critical of getting clarity on the key result areas for a position, those four or five key things, and then listing the performance standards underneath them, getting alignment with uh, between you and the employee, or maybe you and your, and your manager, if you're the one triggering it, and then using that as an ongoing conversation piece, it's such a it's going to be such a useful framework for folks. Um, thank you so much for sharing this with us. And so uh, I have an invitation for folks if they'd like to dive in more. Pat's organization does some wonderful work through Carnegie of providing resources online, but also Pat, I know your team is running a Friday workshop series that folks could attend from uh, really anywhere because it's all mm-hmm. virtual. So we're going to put in a link in the episode notes and in the weekly leadership guide for those of you who'd like to um, really go in further on this and uh, and really benefit from so many of the things Carnegie teaches. It has just been a, Carnegie's lessons for me have been so transformational in allowing me to do the work that I do today, and I would encourage anyone to 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 take some time to discover a bit more. So. Um, thank you for also making that available to us, Pat. I'm uh, I'm really excited for people to 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 check that out more. We'd love to have them join us, and it, it, we we build community there. Uh, we offer quick content with great interaction in a brief way, and and it really is just a, a way we can um, serve our community. We're very excited about it. Pat Griffin. 
Dale Carnegie, Master Trainer. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dave. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. Yes, the word leaders is in the title of this podcast, and yet management skills have always been just as important a conversation on this show as leadership skills. Several other episodes related to management skills that are an important complement to this conversation that I'd also recommend for you. One of them is episode 370, Three Steps to Great Career Conversations. My guest on that episode was Russ Laraway. Uh, Many times I've heard managers say, I know I need to do a better job at getting to know the people who are on my team, and yet I'm not really quite sure how to sit down and just start that conversation. In episode 370, Russ tells us exactly how to do that step-by-step, three steps to be able to discover a bit about a person's career journey so far, where they're heading, and very relevant to this conversation, how their role today is going to help them to get from where they were to where they want to go and how you can support them in doing that. Episode 370, a key episode for you to listen to. Also recommended episode 413, Effective Delegation of Authority with Hassan Osman. Of course, one of the most important management skills is the ability to delegate. And once you have a role clearly defined, then you're able to delegate a lot more effectively. In episode 413, Hassan and I talk through the key steps to delegating well. So many of you have mentioned how helpful that conversation has been and continues to be for your core delegation skills. If you find yourself doing a bit too much of what you shouldn't be doing, you should ideally having others do, not only for your benefit, but perhaps most importantly, for their benefit too. So they are growing their skills. Episode 413 on delegation, a key listen. And then finally, no conversation about defining a role and key management skills would be complete without talking about accountability. On episode 464, I had Jonathan Raymond on and we talked about how to balance care and accountability when leading remotely. His accountability dial was a key part of that conversation. Step-by-step, how to follow the process of accountability in your organization. Uh, You can use it for the challenging situations, but also you can use it for recognition as well too. So many great and practical steps in episode 464. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't already, set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That's going to give you access to a bunch of the free audio courses, member casts, and resources inside the portal there. And it's also going to give you access for the ability to search on the library for all of the past episodes. One of the folders we have is management skills. Tons of other conversations we've had over the years on core management skills for leaders. All of them inside the free membership. Just go ahead and set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That's also the very best way to get access to my weekly leadership guide that comes on Wednesdays. I'll have all the notes and resources we mentioned in this conversation in that guide, as I always do. Next week, join me for a conversation with my friend Tom Henschel from the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast. Tom is returning to teach us how to make sense to others. See you for that conversation next Monday. Take care, everyone.